You know what one of the best words in the English language is? Finished. I remember when I was writing my 93 page uh, thesis for my master's degree. I remember that moment where I typed in that final full stop and I just went, finished. Do you know how good that feels? Well, good until you get it back, I guess, but anyway, it was a good feeling. That final full stop. Or when you're doing a DIY project at home, you know, you're decorating a room and you're there and it's a mess and a complete disaster area, but then suddenly it all comes together, doesn't it? And you get to that moment where you go, finished. I've packed it all away, I've cleaned it all up, it's done. It's ready for inspection. Finished. It's a beautiful word. You're doing a thousand piece puzzle. And you know when I, as well as I do when you're doing a thousand piece puzzle, you're always worried that there's going to be one missing by the end of it. Because it's been out there for weeks on your table. And so you're there and you get it and finally you find that last piece and you put it in the middle of that puzzle. And you go, finished. And you sit back and you think, that's taken me months to do that. Now what am I going to do with it? And then you leave it for a little while and then you have to break it all up and put it in the box. But it's finished. It's complete. Or even more mundane things like the washing up. Isn't it a good feeling when you've got this whole counter full of dirty dishes and then you put half of them in the dishwasher and then the dishwasher is full. And so while that's going on you have to do all the pots and pans and when it's finally all tidied away you look at your kitchen counters are all wiped down and it's finished. It's a beautiful feeling. It's beautiful because then you can go and enjoy something else. It's like when you're a little child, isn't it? And there you were and you couldn't do anything. Life came to an absolute halt until your homework was done. Because your parents were there going, no, you're not going to do it. Life, you haven't got a life. Get your homework done. And when you could take your homework to your parents and say, Mum, it's finished. And she would look through it and go, now life begins again. You can go out, you can do what you like. You'd finished. And so your, your attention then could go on to something new, something different. We've been looking together at the last words of Jesus on the cross. Those seven short words that he gave. And the last two words come together just before he dies. And last week we looked at Luke 23, 46, where Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And today we're looking at the last of those two last words, where Jesus said in one word, tetelestai, in the Greek, just one word, which means it is finished, done, complete. It was a shout of victory for Jesus. It comes in John 19 verse 30, if you've got your Bibles. John 19:30. He says, it is finished. One word in the Greek. And with that it says, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. A shout of victory. But what is it that he was saying was finished? 
What had he completed at that moment on the cross, just before he died? Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this word, this one word, it is finished. Speak to us again today through the pages of your word. Lord, we are your children and we're hungry to receive from you. So speak to us as we explore the depths of these words from the cross. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. It is finished. Tetileste. What does he mean? What did he mean? Well, you can look at it in a number of ways. Look at it like this. First, it was a kind of a word that you would use if you were a servant to your master. A bit like when you were a child, as I said earlier, when you'd done your chores. Who, who of you had chores to do when you were younger? Responsibilities, as your parents called it. You knew they were chores, really. But they used to sort of wrap it up and say, they're responsibilities. You need to have some responsibility in this household. How many of you, when you were growing up, had certain responsibilities that you had to fulfill? Yeah, I did too. Got to do these things. The very basic was keep your room tidy. I failed on that one, so it went on from there. Some families have it carefully worked out with a huge chart on the wall. And you get gold stars for each time you have to do things. Our family wasn't quite that uh, strict, but we had certain responsibilities. And it's like a servant would use that word to a master and say, Master, I've finished what you've asked me to do. And the master would say, it's finished. Okay, well done. It's complete. The responsibilities that we have, or that Jesus had, were finished on the cross. Turn in your Bibles to John 17, just back in a couple of chapters. John 17, verses 1 to 4. This is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, after Jesus said that, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus is saying, you know what, you gave me these responsibilities God. Father, this is what you've given me to do. You have given me one of the responsibilities, it says in verse 3, is to give eternal life that people may know you. Now we think of eternal life so often as when we die, we have everlasting life. But that's not what Jesus says it is here, does he? He says, what is eternal life? That they may know you. It's about here, knowing God, which goes on for all eternity. It's not just something that happens when we die. And Jesus says, you know what, Father, you gave me this responsibility and I have fulfilled that responsibility as you have given it to me. It's finished. Like a master coming to us, to, uh, sorry, a servant coming to a master and saying, I've done what you've asked me to do. And Jesus in Gethsemane is saying to his Father, you know what you asked me to do? Give eternal life. It's done. It's completed. It's finished. The result is in. 
It's done. But not only that, Jesus also had other things he had to do. Flip over to Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, verse 17, Jesus said this as he was teaching, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Everything has been finished. So Jesus didn't only have to give eternal life to people, to give that relationship so that people might have a relationship with the Father. But also, he said, I had to fulfill the whole law. Can you imagine the kind of tightrope that Jesus was walking on? He couldn't, he couldn't slip one little bit from fulfilling the whole law. How many of you drive a car? How many of you find it hard to drive within the speed limit? You're in church, be honest. You know, we all do, don't we? You can be chattering away with your wife, and then all of a sudden you think, oh my goodness, I'm doing 50 and a 30. You had no intention of doing 50, but your foot suddenly slipped, you know? And you think, oh no. You know? Or, or you're there and there's no one on the road, and you think, oh, I can just go a little bit faster. And you break the law. Time and time and time again. In fact, when you're not breaking the law, you know what happens? You have a whole stream of cars right behind you, don't they? All getting frustrated, going, why is he going so slow? Because he's doing 30 in a 30 zone, that's why he's going slow. And they're all eager to, to get past you and to get on because you're just... Nobody goes the speed limit. And yet think about how hard it is for us to drive like that. Think how hard it was for Jesus... Each day, each moment of every day, knowing one slip, just one little break of any part of the law of the Old Testament. And that was it. His Messiahship was over. He couldn't accomplish what he came to do. He had to fulfill absolutely everything. He had to be perfect, as his Father was perfect. And Jesus walked this road of perfection. So he could say, it's been complete. Jesus was like a servant to his master. And when he said it's finished, he said, you know what? Everything you gave me to do, Father, it's been done. Here I am, standing before you. It's been done. Or think of it in a different way. It's a word that also would be used in a, in a merchant kind of way meaning that the debt had been paid in full. Teteleste means that it's been paid. It's like when you get an invoice, and you've got that big bill at the bottom of it. There's nothing better, isn't there, when they get a stamp on it and it goes bang, paid. You can forget about it. You can move on. You can think, that's good. The money's no longer in my account anymore, but I haven't got to worry about it. It's done. It's dusted. It's paid. I can move on. I don't have to think about it any longer. I can file that one away, sort it. I heard about a uh, department store in a fabric counter. And there was a, a really attractive lady there. And she went up to this guy, this young fellow behind the, uh, the, the uh, counter and said, I, I need to buy this material for a new dress. How much does it cost? 
The guy behind there said, it only costs one kiss per yard. And he started smiling. And the attractive young woman said, thought about it for a moment, she went, that's fine, I'll take ten yards. With the anticipation and expectation written all over this young man's face, he hurriedly went off and he measured out ten yards and he carefully wrapped it up, gave it to her, held it out teasingly in his hand, and the girl snapped it up, the woman snapped it up the package. And the guy said, yes, but you've got to pay. And she turned to this old gentleman standing beside her and said, Grandpa, can you pay the bill? (laughs) It's like a merchant paying the bill. Look over in Romans chapter 5. Jesus says the same thing to us, or God says the same thing to us. Romans 5, you want to know what happened on the cross? Romans 5 is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible that explains it. So many different things it tells us about what Jesus did on the cross. Look at verse 6. You see, at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What he's saying there is that we have now been reconciled. Reconciled means been paid for. Jesus, what he's saying there, Paul is saying there is that, you know what? We owed this huge debt to God because we walked away from him. But Jesus has paid that debt. He said, you know what? You can't pay it because you haven't got anything to pay it with. There's no way you guys can pay because you can't afford it. It's without you out of your reach. But Jesus said, you know what? I can pay for you. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to pay what you can't pay, and then you can have the stamp on your invoice that says paid. And when Jesus said that on the cross, when he said it's finished, he's saying also to us, you know what? It's been paid for. It's been done. You haven't got to worry about that invoice any longer that separates you from God, where you're going, can I be good enough to pay this? Can I serve God enough to pay this? How am I going to know? There are other religions that say when you die it's going to be balanced and weighed. And if it's good enough, if it's in your favour, then you're okay. If it's not, then you've had it. Jesus says, the Bible says, you can never be good enough. Because you cannot keep every single law. You cannot be perfect. And therefore, you're never going to be able to afford it. But you don't have to worry, because Jesus has paid for it. And when he said it's finished, it's like him getting that big red paid sign stamp and going bang on our invoice saying, you know what? For each one of you, it's been paid. You've not got to worry about it. Grandpa has paid the bill. You know? He's going to do it. Not me. That's what grace means. That Christ paid it for us. And when he said it's finished, that's what he's saying. No more. Do you have to worry about it? 
because he's paid it on our behalf. That's what the new covenant is all about. That's why the curtain was torn in two and we now have that access to God. All these images about how it's been paid for us. But it also means something else. Think of it in another way. That word would have been used also by the priests. In the Old Testament, when you wanted to go to the temple, when you wanted to go to church effectively, you had to bring a sacrifice. You have to bring a dove or a goat. In fact, what you do is you'll come here because we'd be selling them to you and you would have to come and buy off of us. We'd have a little pen out the back there. And, uh, and you would buy a goat so that you could come worship. Couldn't come into worship without it. Because it, it was there to be paid, paid for the, the sacrifice was to cover your sins and ask God for forgiveness. You can't just come in and say, oh, sorry God, no props, off you go. Didn't work like that. You had to bring your sacrifice, had to cost you something to come and to show how you wanted a change. And the priest would say, once it's all been done, the priest would then take that sacrifice, would kill it, would pour the blood out on the altar, would roast some of it as an offering to God, whichever way all the different sacrifices happened. And then he would say, it's finished, it's done, you can go now. It's finished. Look in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, again, talks about it in an amazing way. Just read a few, few verses from Hebrews 9 verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on all those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. You see what he's saying? For this reason Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may be received by the promise eternal, receive the promised eternal inheritance, and so on. What he's saying is that in the old way, people used to come and they used to kill, sacrifice, pour out the blood, because blood is required. There's no forgiveness without blood. It says that in verse 22 of the same chapter. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so what it's saying here is that Christ offered himself as our sacrifice. So we don't have to bring sacrifices any longer because Christ has done it for us. That's what communion is all about. This is my body. This is my blood. And he became the perfect sacrifice, not the external one of the Old Testament, the kind of covered over sin, but the one of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31, that talks about an internal change within each of us. I've now put my spirit within you, the law within you. It's on your hearts. It's in your consciences. And Jesus said, I've offered that. So he became the sacrificial lamb as we call it. But more than that, 
he also became the great high priest. Look back a couple of chapters to Hebrews 4. It talks about him in verse 14. 14 and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus becomes both the priest and the sacrifice all at the same time. He said, I sacrificed himself on the cross because we couldn't do that. But he also then becomes the high priest for us who accepts us, who understands us, who's been tempted just as we are, who has lived just as we are and so understands us. And so Jesus becomes both. And when he said it's finished, it's finished because the sacrifice has been accepted and done. And it's finished because he's become the priest for us. Who intercedes, sits at God's right hand. Who lifts up our prayers. Who understands us. Because he became human like us. So he understands our struggles and our temptations, and our frailties, and our joys, and the whole of life, and became like us. And when he said it's finished, he said, you know what, the sacrifice has been offered and it's accepted, no more sacrifices are required, but also he said, now you have a high priest, one that understands, one that you can go through to the Father. Well think of it in another way, It is finished. It's like a soldier in a battle. If you turn to 1 Samuel 17.31 That's the story of David and Goliath. You all know that one. Little David with his slingshot. Big Goliath. With his massive javelin and everything else. David goes out there and they go fight and he runs towards Goliath. This little guy and Goliath standing there thinking this is going to be pretty quick. And this stone comes and wallops him right in the temples. And he collapses and dies. And what does David do? 1731. Sorry, not 1731. 1751. It says, David ran and stood over him after he killed him. He took hold of the Philistine sword, he drew it from his scabbard, after he killed him he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. A soldier would use that word to say it's finished, the battle's over. Just like David there. Once he had killed Goliath, that was it. The battle was done. There was no more fighting that day. The Philistines all ran away, Israelites all ran after them. But the battle, the victory was accomplished. It was over, it was done. In Colossians 2, it talks about Christ on the cross. It says he's, he's disarmed him. He's, na- he's nailed, he's, he's defeated Satan there on the cross. Just in the same way, takes up the analogy of a battle. 
And therefore Satan has been defeated. And when Christ said it's finished, he's saying, you know what? Satan's done for now. The battle has been won. It's over. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sin and uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that stood, that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Saying, on the cross what he did was that he defeated sin, evil, in our world. The end result is, is done. Just as David took up the head of Goliath and said, there you go, finished. There's no turning back from here. He's not going to come back again. It's not Hollywood. It's not going to happen. He's done. He's toast. The battle's finished. And in the same way, Jesus did the same on the cross. And when he said it's finished, he's saying, there's no turning back. It's completed. It's done for all eternity. Or look at it in one last way. It's like an artist. An artist, when they paint a picture, they're adding bits and pieces, one corner and then another corner, and then finally, at the end, it's finished. And they step back, and they put a frame around it, and they hang it on the wall. And when it's finished like that, it's done, isn't it? Nobody is ever going to come along and do any more to that picture. They've signed their name in the corner, it's finished. It is what it is. Some people might come to it and go, you know what, it could do with someone else up in that corner. It could do, but nothing's going to change. It's finished. It's a complete work of art in and of itself. It's hanging there. And you put the palette away and you stack the easel away. You hang the picture up and you walk. And you say, that's it. That one's done. I'm moving on to something else. And Jesus, when he said it's finished, was a bit like that. You know what, I'm moving on. I'm looking forward now. Things are going to change. Jesus said, it is finished. The work has been completed. But Easter says to us that for you and for me, the work is just beginning. For Christ, that word on the cross, the crucifixion, when he died, everything was complete. It was finished. His resurrection was merely something that was bound to happen because of who he was and what he'd done. But everything would have been completed by Christ even if he hadn't have risen from the dead. He said, it's done. You now have access to God. You now have eternal life. The relationships have been restored. All these different aspects that we've just looked at have been done, sorted. The new covenant is here. But what about for you and for me? Well, we then become the servants of Christ. Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and your neighbour as yourself. And as you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptising them, as we did with Alex this morning. You and me become the servants of Christ. And we need to go to Christ and say, 
Lord, I've done the work you've asked me to do. Is that bit finished? Yeah, but I've got this for you to do. And we go off and do it. And we say, Lord, is that bit finished? Yep. And there's something else I want you to do. And we become, like Christ was to his Father, we become the same to Jesus. We become his servants. But we also become the merchants too. There is freedom in Christ. Galatians 5 talks about freedom. Do not use your freedom. Do not lose it. And there's a real tendency within us as merchants that Christ has paid the price, said you are free, but then we add a whole load of baggage back onto it and go, ah, that can't be true. That can't really be true, is it? And we put rules and regulations into our Christian life that effectively means that we haven't, that Christ actually hasn't paid the price. Well, you have to be a good Christian, you have to do these certain things, you can't do those things. It's actually more about the negativity, what you can't do. When I was growing up in church, it was all these lists of what you couldn't do. It's horrible. For one, you're not allowed in the pulpit. I used to get told off every week, because I used to run up into the pulpit when I was a little kid. Can't go up there, that's just for the minister only, get out of there. My dad used to grab me by the ear, pull me out. That's why my ears stick out so much sometimes. Anyway, I hope he doesn't listen to this later. But there's all these, what you can't do, you have to sit still, you have to be quiet, you know. I got told off because I used to pull the straw, it used to be straw seats. I used to pull the straw out and poke the girls in front. I got told off for that. No fun in church at all. It's completely boring. It's horrible. Because it was all these rules of what you couldn't do. I don't ever remember hearing what I could do in church. It was what I couldn't do. But Jesus said, Galatians says, don't, I've given you freedom. Freedom to love. Freedom to be the people that I have created you to be. Somebody asked me, what are the rules of Christianity? I said, there aren't any. Love God, love your neighbour. Go make disciples. The rest, as long as it fits under those three general headings, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And if it is a problem, God will change it within you. Let him do the changing, not the church telling you you've got to change. never works. It's like your parents telling you you can't do this and you can't do that. You're desperate to do it because they said you can't do it. Don't walk on the grass. What do you want to do? That's the best looking piece of grass I've ever seen. You know? So like a merchant, we have freedom in Christ. Galatians talks all about the freedom of Christ. So go and live it. Live that freedom. Enjoy the freedom that you have. Because as we enjoy the freedom we have in Christ, so we are recognising that Jesus has put a big paid sign right across our lives. And we're living out what it means to have our debts paid by him. We're also priests. We're priests because we give and receive forgiveness. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are priests to one another. You know, that's why we have the peace before we have communion. Because how can you come and receive the forgiveness? How can you come and receive Jesus Christ if you've got something against somebody else? And the peace is there for us to go and say, You know what, I got really angry with you, I'm sorry. Let's put this right before we come as brothers and sisters before God. Let's sort this out. We're priests, we give 
and we receive forgiveness. Just as we say that in the Lord's Prayer. We're soldiers too. Ephesians 6 talks about the spiritual battle. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark age. We're in a spiritual battle. And we need to recognize that. Dwight Eisenhower, the general, US general, said there are no victories at discount prices. Our victory has been won by Jesus Christ on the cross. But he says, you know what? You're in a spiritual war now as well. But we need to make stands against evil that's in our world. We need to do something about it. We need to pray. We need to get involved in some of the injustices we see in our world around us. We need to pray that God's kingdom will come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our responsibility as well as God flowing through us to bring his kingdom around us. And we're artists. We're painting a picture. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, God created and he looked at the world, it says, and he says, you know what? It's very good. It's very, very good. And God continues to paint a picture in you and in me. I heard about a woman who visited an art gallery. And one picture was bright blue with vivid orange swirls all in it. And the one next to it was black with lime green blobs all over it. And the artist was standing nearby and so she said, I'm sorry but I just don't understand your paintings. And he said, I paint what I feel inside of me. And she said, have you tried Alka-Seltzer? Well, we paint what is inside of each one of us in our lives. And when Jesus said it's finished, for us that's a new start. Easter is a new start. And as artists, we are painting what Christ has put within each one of us. That's what he asks us to do. So that other people will look at us And see the picture that God is painting within us. God looked at his creation, looked at humanity and said, you know what, that's very good. And he wants to look at you and me. And the the world around us. And say, you know what, I'm painting something really, really good. Very good. In David, and in Melina, and in everybody else here. I'm painting something beautiful. That's what Easter is all about. Jesus said it's finished. And it was finished for him because that chapter closed and a new chapter opened. But for us, it was the start of a brand new chapter. As servants, as merchants, as soldiers, as priests, as artists for God. And that is what he sends us out to be for his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for that simple word from your cross. And yet so deep, it is finished. And for you, it was finished. The work was done. But for us, the work is just beginning. Because you send us out to continue the work that you started. And you promised us, you said, you know what, you're going to do even greater things than I did. 
Why? Because your spirit is working through us and we're a big army going out into the world. Being merchants, being servants, being priests, being soldiers, being artists for your glory. Help us to do that. So that when you look at us, you say, you know what, that is so beautiful. Because one day we will stand before you and we can say, Lord, the work you've given me to do is finished. And you'll say as you said to your son, well done, good and faithful servant. And you'll welcome us into our heavenly home. Until then, help us to live as Easter people, forgiven and free, painting the picture you want us to paint to the world around us. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.